Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the many things we do. So thank you for joining us here. Yeah. And if you like our podcast, consider subscribing to it. Just so you know, you don't miss out on any of our cool topics. You don't want to be like, oh, you did what? Oh, man, that was exactly the thing I needed to hear or talk about or listen to at that time in my life. If you subscribe, that will never happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you could also DM us with questions or topic suggestions, or you just want to talk about writing with two other people who love to talk about it, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram, threads, X. Twitter, <laughs> act2writers, and you can find me, Story Thursday, on threads and Instagram, and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. I'm not saying X. I'm not doing it. I'm Josh... Joshua Hallman on X, Josh Hallman on Instagram. I'm having a social media crisis right now, actually. I could could see that. I actually deleted the Twitter app from my phone. Oh. And so I was like, this is going to maybe help me stay off of social media. I think that's good. I think it's it's been a helpful tool in terms of the screenwriting community, which is the only reason Act 2 remains on there and I'm on there really just to look out for screenwriting news and repost anything that could be helpful for people um, or of interest. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to the olden days when people were arguing about ellipses and commas and wee-sees. Just like, Let's just get a good <laughs> argument for a week. Just keep it. Someone start something. The good old days. The good old days. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. We've got a day. We've got an interesting day. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. It is a topic that excites us Ooh, a lot. Settle down. Hey, settle down with that. <laughs> uh, Josh and I have both had d- difficult sleep days, yeah. so we're we're recording this early in the morning. It's actually not early in the morning. It just feels really early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we're good. We're gonna be good because this is a great topic that we're excited about. <laughs> but let's start with: Do you have this week in writing? This week in writing. We can write in. All right. What do you got? So I'd sent some pages of something that I had written. It was a first draft of like a first act to a friend of mine. Okay. And I had him read it. Got back to me. He sent some notes and we were just talking on the phone and he made a comment. He was like, you know, the dialogue, it's just, I can hear you in it. And I was like, oh, wait, I don't know if that's a good thing at all, actually. And it made me, we started to have this conversation on how a lot of, the characters, they just sound the same. Yeah. And, and then it got me thinking about voice and how to find voice in a character. And then I started to think about myself. And, you know, when you're doing a first draft, you just kind of get it out. And sometimes me personally, I'll always start like a character with so like I'll and then I have to delete it because that's just how I talk. That's funny. Yeah. But it's little these little things that I will include in a first draft and probably a second and third and fourth draft that make certain characters sound similar and I have to actively go back and 
it's not until I finish a mm. script or I'm halfway through a script where I really start finding the voice of a character. And then I sometimes have to go back. Does this happen to you? Yeah, vo- especially if you're writing a spec, it's particularly, obviously, particularly hard because it's all coming from your own brain. I would imagine the first draft is a lot of just like, just get it down. Yeah. And then you start to feel like, oh, my main character. I feel like you, you can sometimes like hone... I feel like one character comes into focus before another character often. So if it's the main character, it's like, okay, if my main character talks this way, then maybe I'll have that secondary character they're in a lot of scenes with talk like a very different way, like talk this way so that the scene has a, like a very different rhythm. Yeah. You know, like one talks like Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. and the other talks like Ethan Hunt. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. so you have some variety in the scene, you know yeah. what I mean? No, that's important. <laughs> you know, when you're writing characters that, aren't unique or specific if they're just like an average person from Mm -hmm. you know the middle of america or whatever it is sometimes they sound the same and that that i just got i started to think about just kind of like you know doing character work and building out characters and where they come from and that's just all to say i just feel like in that instance like if you're not if you don't have an accent or they don't have like a weird speech pattern or anything like that. Like they're not out of a Quentin Tarantino movie. They're out of a Josh Hallman movie. I know. Then for me, it helps to be like, well, where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Like, are they really anxious in this scene? Because even if they don't have an accent or a weird way of speaking, an anxious person speaks differently than someone who's super chill. Totally. Just like, like dashes in the line or like they're like, their, their mind is kind of somewhere else or they, they may, right, might raise their voice a little bit. So it always helps. And they, they talk about this. And when you take, and this is a big reason why they have writers in college take like acting classes is because you learn how important it is to know where you're coming from before you enter the room, yeah. as it were, before you enter your scene. And that becomes so important for writers, as I'm sure you know, Josh, mm-hmm. being a SAG actor Correct. and having taken improv classes. Listen, where am I coming from? Where am I and where am I going? (laughs) (laughs) It's to me, a voice of characters is one of the most fun things. I I have so much fun with it. But can I just like small tangent that's related is working on shows that are based on IP with characters that already have a voice, like Mighty Nine, for example, where the, the voice is very clear because it's you know, years of voice actors playing these characters that you can just watch. So it's very clear. Translating it to the page has been interesting mm-hmm. because it's like a speech pat. Oftentimes there's speech patterns that aren't natural or like don't feel normal for a character to have. Let me ask you. Yeah. So do you write the speech pattern in the scripts? Like let's say someone uh, repeats words. I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, not familiar with how, like a speech where someone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Do you write like the little uh, nuances that the voice actor has given to the characters yes. in the script? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Like, there is a character who goes, okay, okay, okay. And so, <laughs> but like in particular okay, moments, okay, right? Okay. It's not all the time. So like you definitely like, include that in there. It almost can indicate when that character is maybe nervous or getting anxious or... Yeah, you use it at the right times and it's, yeah. it, it's perfect. But what's interesting to me is that that piece that not all writers can get that voice, even hearing it, which tells you that writing voice, writing dialogue is extremely difficult mm-hmm. because you really do have to completely channel a different human being or orc, as the case may be, depending on what you're writing. An orc? And like, <laughs> Did you say 
I did. <laughs> and figure out, yeah, to figure out that. So you have to become that character, which is why, again, like an acting ability really does kind of come in handy as a writer. Oh. Not that I can act, but I can act quietly in my room when no one else is around. <laughs> you can act like a psychopath by yourself. Yeah. You hear voices in your head. <laughs> You're like, oh, the voices yeah. are saying this. Do you know what's nuts about that? When I'm by myself, I say things that my characters say. I say it out loud. I'm like, okay, I like I'll talk it out. Yeah. I bet you are the exact opposite. Oh yeah. <laughs> I am. I look angry. And like silent <laughs> and not present, I think, in my body. No, for sure. There should be a, like a photo book of writers who are not present when they're just writing. I love that <laughs> idea. Like a coffee book for a writers. A coffee book. Or <laughs> they're just kind of staring off into the distance. Or you know how they take pictures of like a soldier before they go to war and a oh, soldier Jesus. after. So a writer before they write their spec and then a few months after when they're done. If you got a photo of me right now, you'd be like, oh, he's somewhere deep in a speck. <laughs> he's so haggard. <laughs> uh, so that's my This Week in Writing. That's great. Um, mine is that I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. So I saw a few movies recently. Haunted Mansion, of course, Barbie. There were There are these movies that I've seen recently where I'm like, I have some issues mm-hmm. with story but I don't give a fuck. I cared more in a haunted mansion. Same with Mission Impossible. And I keep finding this to be very an, an, a very interesting phenomenon for me mm-hmm. because I am so like logic police in many ways. And just the fact that I can enjoy these movies so much and not care that some of the story stuff is off fascinates me. <laughs> so I actually thought about this because we had a recent conversation and you made that comment about, oh, there was things in Barbie, but I yeah. didn't care. And we did talk about it with Mission Impossible. And after we talked about it, which I think might have been on the podcast, after we talked about it, I was wondering like how that happens. Because that doesn't seem like something in writing. Like I bet the writers have explanations for everything, but it's not until you start filming where you start kind of like getting into that. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I think it's a combo. It can definitely be bad writing that just the acting or the directing or the editing and some combo therein just makes good. But how can you get to a point where, let's take someone like you who are logic police, like how can you train yourself to read a script and say, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense? I'm getting so much better at that. Like a lot better. I... In writing TV, I've realized that this is a very, very key skill to have to not logic police yourself. So not everything has to make sense. It just has to make sense enough that the audience cares about it Mm -hmm. and that you understand it enough to write it so it doesn't seem like bullshit. But the simplest answer is always the best solution when it comes to TV And that will also be for screenplays as well. It's just slightly different because you have longer form to kind of have more complications. Whereas TV, the information comes at you so quickly in sort of shorter form episodes that um, the simplest solution is always key. So like, especially like I write in fantasy and big mythologies and stuff like that. And so my mind always overcomplicates things. It's always been a flaw of mine. I just always think 
that more complications means more interesting. And what I've since learned is it's so fucking hard to write complicated things so that the audience understands it in a TV show that scaling back to the absolute simplest solution is yeah. always the best. And I know I keep repeating that, but it's so fucking true. And even if logically the complicated explanation feels necessary, it's not. Yeah. It's not change it so that the simplest solution is necessary. And I wish I had a specific example that we've talked about in our, in our, in our own well, rooms, but I just... The one thing, as you were saying this, something I was thinking about, and this is going to sound silly given what we know about Barbie, but there's a moment where Barbie goes to the high school, Ken is off doing his own thing, and he goes to like a Fortune 500 company, he goes to a hospital, he goes somewhere else. And so Ken like does a full day's work while Barbie is still in this uh, high school. And I actually remember seeing that moment being like, oh, that was really fun. I wonder if I were to read a script and be like, I don't understand. Ken's doing all these different things. I understand it's satire and I understand it's meant to be fun. That's such a great example because I could see someone, an exec or another writer being Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't make sense. How can they do that time-wise? And you just have to be like, just go with it. And it goes back to J.J. Abrams and what we talked about on that episode of The Mystery Box, where it's the experience of the audience matters. And how they experience that section is exactly as you described it. It's so fun. Yes, it doesn't technically work logically, logically but you get you get the logic of it. It's not like you're suddenly confused and you're like, wait, is this a time travel movie? You don't yeah. The audience understands a lot more than you think they do because they've seen a shit ton of movies. So they just mm. get it. And that's something you really do have to consider for these moments. Dude. And that's something I find actually like that's such a good point because when I think of simplifying stuff in like TV shows that I'm writing, it's often, look, the audience will understand that quicker than we think they will. So we probably need one scene instead of five to explain that to them. Maybe like I've had moments where we're, we are talking for hours about how the rules of something works. And then we realize a look or a single line will solve our problem. (laughs) And those two hours were wasted trying to like logic through what this rule could be and how to explain it. So yes, um, the audience experience matters. (sighs) <sighs> what a skill. A, but I, but my real This Week in Writing about TMNT was it's so fucking good. Oh. It's so fun. I just am so happy. I left the theater so happy. I laughed. I cried. You cried? I had motions. I cry. I like, Josh, I cry at like every movie now. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to credit Paul for your new tears I think that's accurate. I am the girl from Elemental. (laughs) And Paul has opened up my emotions. (laughs) He is. Paul, I I remember you used to see movies, used to kill kids and scripts, and now your heroes are kids. You're balling in the back of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) You you have a dog. (laughs) Who knew I would get here? Who knew? You need to write a... uh, a story about you and Paul. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a little animated movie about us. <laughs> I am the girl in Elemental. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it's great. I have so much fun. Before we launch into our main topic, mm-hmm. let's do a quick spec check. Let's do it. Spec check. 
Spec check. So my my recent update is I <laughs> submitted an outline to the writers group. Yeah. And then after I left of writers group. Of a new group, thing. Of a different thing. After I left uh -oh. writers group, I was like, I'm diving back into my old spec. Yeah. For some reason, it pushed me back into my other thing. I mean, I think that's how it works. Because you like get upset that you got notes on this thing. And so you're like, I'm going to go to something fresh. And then you're going to get tired over there. And you're going to hop sure. back to this one. I'm in an unhealthy... <laughs> spin cyclone right now no there was i don't know what it, you know what it was someone asked me trent like it was funny at the end of a uh, group trent was like so what's up with that other spec and i was like uh oh and in my head oh, i was gosh. like oh that just means this sucks okay i gotta just maybe no a, i think it means he wants you to focus and finish something i think that would probably be correct the thing you turned in was also good and fun so either way you're doing Thank well you. so Thanks, don't beat yourself up about it so my spec check is here i'm just laying this out there okay i am fully committed to writing the spec that I've already started that uh -huh. I'm like midway through and I am going to power through by the next time we do a spec check I'm going to have an update on it okay I, I'm going I'm holding you accountable okay you, that's what spec checks for mm-hmm okay okay what's up with you even if spec it's a check. page I don't care yeah all right I'm gonna lie I'm gonna be like you 15 pages <laughs> I wonder if I could tell if you're lying at this point or if you lie to me all the time and I don't notice at all. <laughs> could go either way. Um, okay, mine is I submitted the first act of a new version of my spec. If you remember last time I had a crisis because my manager unfurled everything and I had to start anew and I lost track of the thing that I loved about my spec. So I tried to refind it here and I just did the first act. I didn't bother with the whole thing because if it's not working in the first act and you, you don't care yeah. and like the theme is not set up there, it's just not, it's not going to happen anywhere else. And then I submitted it and uh, my good friend Tanya, who is now in our group, at least until the writer's strike is over, she said, her first question was, so what is this about? And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> You can't tell. <laughs> so, but it was great. That was exactly the conversation I need is because the whole writer's group then, our notes were about what is this about, how to hone in on the thing that I love about it. And and it was like, this is what I love about it, guys. This is what I want it to be. And all of you saying, okay, it's not there yet, but if you did this, this, and this, then it could get there. And that was so helpful. I actually came home that night. Um, it was like, I got home at like 9 p.m., and I rewrote the entire first act. So I have a whole first act ready to go again. Oh, nice. Um, I'm going to just kind of keep powering through given um, this new version that I feel really passionate about and try to just give you guys a full outline next writer's group. Not ne Yeah, next writer's group because that's in two weeks. As a person who read it, I just want to say through that conversation, I actually saw the movie. I think I was telling you this. Like we yeah. had this conversation. I almost wanted to stop everyone and just be like, this is it. No more <laughs> notes. We've already <laughs> cracked where this story is. Let's just go. And I saw it so clearly and I just kept trying to bring up that amazing that topic Thank you. Of, of what I thought yeah, it was I about. Yeah, I think we found the thing that it that it that makes me passionate about it and that is what the movie is. So And it's that's very cool. relatable. Yeah. So good. You're on the right course, right? Yay. Path. Spectrum. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you. Okay. Right. Are we done? That's... <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are going to talk about this uh, article that came out on nofilmschool.com by Jason Hellerman. 
this year, inspired by the new Indiana Jones movie, he wrote a 10 screenwriting lessons from Indiana Jones, kind of the, the hot takes you can learn from watching Indiana Jones. And we, of course, love Indiana Jones on this podcast. So we decided we would kind of go through it and see what we can see. I like it. Let's go. Okay. I'll just start. The, the first one is the most active protagonists move the story along. If you want a hero that keeps your story moving, meet Indiana Jones, yeah. an archaeologist who has something to do in every scene. An active protagonist is one who forges their path forward, propelling the story rather than letting the story drive them. Now, this is one of the hardest things to do in writing. Yeah. I feel like it took me a long time to get here. And in this moment, I am live trying to figure out why. And I think it's because a big reason is because when I first started writing, even now, this happens to me all the time. I see the story I want to tell, and so I, like, force my character into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, get in that scene. <laughs> I want this scene. <laughs> and that's not really paying attention to what the character wants or what's driving the character forward. So a lot of work has to be – that's okay if you have that as a starting point. But a lot of work then has to be done of how do you make your character active to get to these points rather than say, and I do this a lot, I have a character who comes to my main character and like gives them information that launches them on their journey, which is mm -hmm. fine. That is absolutely like a super doable way of telling a story, by the way. There's a million good examples of that. But what if you flipped it? And what if your character discovers something on their own that prompts them to go on this adventure of your movie. It's just different. It, it's active versus inactive. Yeah. And then if you take that idea into every scene, let's say you write your first draft, go back through, and if you feel like your character is not as active as, you, as they should be, take a look at each scene. And how is your character learning new information? Can it be an active version instead of an inactive version? If, for example they're spies and they go into someone's room and they're rummaging through the desk and they find the exact like ledger that they need to um, put this person away forever sitting on the desk. Well, that's one way to do it. Or they are super clever and they find a trap door and behind the trap door is actually a secret room where this ledger is going. That's just, uh, it makes them cleverer. It makes them more yeah. active. Like little things like that across the entire movie or, or episode will really help the activeness of your character. It sounds so obvious, but if it's you and I and all of a sudden an alien invasion comes, then the alien invasion is just kind of happening. But now it's mm -hmm. like we need to be active to figure out what we want. Do we want to fight them? Do we want to hide? Do we want uh, to save Dave? What do, like, what are we trying to do here? So yeah, yeah, you said it well. And I think it, a good reminder, because when I go through these lists, and I think of my own writing, I can often get very depressed because I'm like, well, I don't do that or that's really hard for me or I struggle with that. And I think it's important to know that every single day that I write television or that I'm in a writer's room, we all struggle with it. Almost every day someone's like, yeah, but that doesn't make the character active and they need to be active and we have to rethink everything. Yeah. So it's not easy. It's, it's a practice. It's something you actively have to always think about even as you're writing. So, um, but it's super important. Okay. Last thing I'll say on this is just give yeah. him a want. Just want. What, am I, what does my character want? Want, want. That, that I think is helpful for me. All right. They should want something in every scene. Number two, crafting 
an interesting hero. I think the idea of having a protagonist you like can feel outdated. I think it's more important to be interesting. But Indiana Jones has all of this in spades. We fall in love with him as a person, and we're interested in his motivation and backstory, which gets revealed in each film in the series. Yes. Um, this, you know, we've talked, we talk a lot about the note, your character is not likable. And I actually gave this note recently to someone and I said, I apologize. This is, this is the top, the top <clears throat> flavor of this note, but the bottom flavor is flavor. actually that your character is not relatable. There's nothing that I am attaching to emotionally to this person in the beginning of your movie or your show so that I'm not drawn to watching a movie about them. Yeah. And that's what you have to fix. Like they don't have to be likable. They just have to be, yeah, interesting. And I would add relatable because you can have a super interesting character who's also not relatable. But yeah. what I what's so relatable about Indiana Jones is he's kind of just a dude, really. I mean, he gets punched in the face, he stumbles, he makes mistakes, but he still gets back up and finds a way to power through. There's something very relatable to a hero who's just kind of a professor. He's just a dude. Yeah. It can be little things as well. Um, someone who's struggling financially, someone who's got a bad relationship, someone who is just going through something that most people have gone through at some point in their life. And it's interesting here that he mentions crafting an interesting hero because it's kind of a good reminder too is to make your, you know, your Ethan Hunt type of character interesting. Like they can, they're so smart in so many different ways that you, the audience member, are probably not smart. So there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of wish fulfillment and watching characters like Ethan Hunt or Indiana Jones. And that can be a big part of the movie going experience as well. Moving on. Number three, the power of action sequences. An action set piece can make or break an adventure movie, and they are the lifeblood of Indiana Jones movies. Each movie has clever, memorable moments like running from the rock, getting your heart ripped out, a tank chase, and fighting <laughs> on top of a train. <laughs> Here's the thing about action sequences this is my opinion, as long as you show your character being clever and reacting appropriately in these action sequences, it says a lot about the protagonist. And for instance, if you're on top of a train, someone sees uh, a tunnel coming up. This is very cliche, but it's like they turn their back and it shows that they're clever. And then the final second they duck and then the person gets decapitated and it's like, boom, saved. You know, like there's things that you can do in the action sequence that just shows how smart and capable your protagonist is. Yes, totally agree. This writer also goes on, which I think is a really good point to bring up on the heels of what you just said, that the action sequence begins with a clear objective. So we know exactly what your character needs and then you throw things at them to stop them mm -hmm. and think outside the box, etc. That becomes super important. And we talk about that all the time with Indiana Jones movies, how there's a three act structure to them, right? Like that to me is what makes the Indiana Jones action sequence is so iconic. It's what I try to replicate every day in my own writing is why is this character going after the thing they're going after in this action sequence? And how do you make it like tumultuous for them? Difficult. There's a, there's a break into act two in a way where they're like, you know, they indeed jumps on the tank and 
now he's on a fucking tank and what do we do? And then there's a low point where he's definitely going to die. And then somehow he gets out of it. And there's a climax of the scene, et cetera, et cetera. Like find those those things. And, and a lot of things I've been hearing from people who have seen the new Indiana Jones, that mm. is not directed by Steven Spielberg, is that these three-act structures are not inherent in the action scenes, which makes them feel hollow. They're just kind of action scenes. Yeah. And I think that's something to pay attention to. And if you're interested in this, I would say, you know, watch uh, any of the previous three Indiana Joneses and then watch this current one and see if you can, and specifically pay attention to the action scenes and see if you can't see a difference between those. Yes, and recently I've also been talking about that Avengers Civil War action scene at the airport, if you remember, where like yeah. one half of the group wants to stop the Avengers and one half of the group wants to go do something. And yeah. the goal of the whole thing is we have to get to the Quinjet and the hangar and there's half of the Avengers are trying to stop us. So there's just a really simple, clean goal there. And then yeah. the rest is just crazy hijinks. But what's also fun about the tone of the action set piece, which makes it, I think, feel special and iconic in terms of the series of Marvel, is that because they're all friends, they're not trying to kill each other. They're just trying to stop each other. So that takes on a totally different like choreography than any other kind of action scene, which makes it unique. So think of things like that for your action sequences. That's a great example. I love that. Number four, reminding the audience of the challenge. A good screenplay amplifies the stakes by reminding the audience of the enormity and difficulty of a hero's goal. For instance, in Raiders, there's a scene where Indiana Jones's boss reminds himself, nobody's found the Ark in 3,000 years. It's like nothing you've gone after before. The reminder amplifies the stakes and reminds the audience of the magnitude of the task. I'm sighing because like, I feel like I have always resisted doing this because it feels so hacky. Yeah. And then after Tomb Raider, I was like, oh yeah, audiences get lost. It gets lost real fast why you're doing something. You just get so yeah. caught up in other parts of the story. Sometimes you're like, and I'm sure we've all had this experience in a movie where we're like, wait, what are we going after again? Or wait, mm -hmm. why are we doing this again? So it really does help every now and again to just state it. And I remember that line in Indiana Jones. And I don't ever remember bumping on it. <laughs> I've gotten that note before where it was like, just be specific about what's happening and the stakes. And it was just like... I remember a producer being saying, like, just have someone say it. Just say, totally. like, the world's if going to explode. If we don't get this thing, yeah, the yeah. world is going to explode. Yeah. That, a good actor can deliver it perfectly fine. Yeah. The world's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number five, breaking the rules when necessary. Part of being a great screenwriter involves recognizing when certain rules don't apply to the specific story you're telling. Each story is unique and require, requires unique choices. And this is a good example that this writer, this author brings up. For instance, one of the tenets of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey requires a refusal of the call. We always talk about that in screenwriting structure. When do they refuse the call? However, Indiana Jones never refuses the call because what we love about Indiana Jones is his fearlessness and manufacturing a refusal of the call moment would have felt forced and unnatural. And I love this. Doesn't Indy refuse the call pretty much every time? And then he's like, 
oh god okay yeah i have to go like so he like refuses it at first when he's like you got to get someone else my dad is actually the grail yeah like the grail expert yeah your dad was the grail expert who's gone missing what what okay i'll go okay that was great are you sure you're not in sag <laughs> you josh (laughs) that was great that was great that was great Uh uh-oh wait this is interesting because i think you're right there's never really a moment in indiana jones where he's like fuck this i'm not like i don't recall moments where indiana jones is like i'm not going on this adventure you can't make me and then something happens he's always game for adventure but there's always like a line in this case it's literally a line it's like you don't want me my dad is the guy and then it's over quickly. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, no, but your dad's the guy you got to go get. Yeah, it kind of it adds the stakes every time. It was like, it's like, Tasha, you need to go rescue this person. You're like, I'm not going. And it's like, it's Paul. And you're like, oh, I have to go now. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it, it always kind of adds. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of a very bad example. But like, it does feel like Indy's always, even in the most recent Indy, like someone comes to him. And he's kind of like, ah, no, like I'm, I'm done with this. I'm old. I'm old. Too old for this shit. And then, and then he just kind of gets sucked in. But there's no refusal of the call in Temple, right? He lands after floating down from the raft, and he's found by this village. And they're like, our kids are missing. And he's like, okay, let's go. Listen, I don't know if he necessarily refuses a call but he's rather hesitant to take the call he hesitates and may be doubtful at times but yeah i mean that's that's the beauty of indiana jones that's the beauty of indiana jones the point is yes we use screenwriting structure to help us but if it doesn't serve you throw it the fuck away yeah number six yeah a memorable introduction for your leads totally One of the coolest parts about Indiana Jones is that we always have these fun character introductions. When we first meet Indy, he whips a gun out at somebody's hands and steps out of the shadows. I misread that, but I think you got it. And then (laughs) Marion, Karen Allen's introduction in Raiders, though not as dramatic as Indiana's, is still quite powerful. We see her participating in a drinking competition followed by a battle. That's right. I love this. I love introducing characters in a way that really punches you in the face with the kind of character that they are. This is as I'm as I just read that, I'm thinking about my own stuff and I'm like you can't just meet them walking around. Like what is what is the scene that is immediately going to tell me who the fuck this person is? I'm rethinking everything right now about a current spec I'm writing. I think it's I think it's good. Okay. 7 adding urgency and it is a picture on this lovely article of indiana jones and his father sean connery also dr jones tied together in chairs their backs to each other with a rope and uh you know flames are about to burst into the room and kill them Mm. so this this guy says slow movies are fine but if you're writing an action adventure you want the pacing of the story to move you want to feel the excitement as characters follow maps and search for higher meaning um he says raiders for example achieves this pace not through dizzying editing tricks like these modern kids now does me but through solid story (laughs) mechanics 
specifically by adding urgency to the story whenever possible. Always look for opportunities to add urgency to your action movie. And I, again, similar to what we've said before, this is something every day I have to rethink and I talk about with writers. It's like, oh, the scene's fine. How can we make it harder for them? How can we make it more scary? How can we add some kind of complication? And that's something you can do after you've figured out what the scene is. But maybe the original scene in indie was they're just kind of tied. Their hands are tied and they're sitting against a wall. And someone's like, how can we make this more interesting? Let's tie them together mm-hmm. so that they have to be intimate and talk and work together to get out. Because guess what? That's the theme of our movie. So, yes, you can just always be adding these complications and you should always do so i love that number eight injecting suspense into conversations sometimes indiana jones movies require a lot of exposition and conversation two-person dialogue scenes can quickly become boring especially in an action film by adding an element of suspense to the conversation you can keep the audience engaged for instance in raiders while indy and marion are walking in around cairo the scene keeps cutting to various bad guys preparing to attack them this adds suspense to the conversation, making it more interesting and straightforward than just a dialogue scene. Yeah, love this because, I mean, I think about this stuff all the time. This is like, what, it was like the uh, Blake Snyder Pope in the Pool thing in the Save the Cat mm-hmm. book. Just that idea of always having something crazy going on while you're trying to convey information. Yeah. I've always heard, the one I always think of, and this has been told to me and I can't find you know, evidence that this was ever said by Alfred Hitchcock, but the Alfred Hitchcock one where if you have two giraffes fucking in the background, people will watch anything. (laughs) (laughs) And so I always am like, what's my giraffes fucking in the background moment? And sometimes I'll say that to people. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So you want giraffes in the back of the scene? I love that. Yeah. I had a scene, for instance, that I wrote recently where a character needed to walk into a room and talk to another character. And that was going to be so fucking boring. Even though what they say is fun and interesting, it's going to be boring because that's just the nature of two people in a room talking. Usually. Right? Quentin Tarantino proves us wrong every day. But I also didn't like Pulp Fiction and was bored. So there's that. But Whoa. point being. <laughs> okay. In this scene where I knew a character was going to walk into a room and just talk to another character for a couple pages, I put a fight in the background. There's like a there's like a boxing match in the background and like interesting stuff will happen in the boxing match. Like it's a smaller person versus a bigger person and I can watch that if I want to while I'm you know, it's like being on your phone and doing yeah. your grocery list while you're also watching a movie. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I get to do. <laughs> and in it's set in the world though where a boxing match is totally normal. Of course. Yeah. And of course, again, you can break rules all the time because the interesting that thing that happens could be whatever is happening between your two characters. And that's that's your scene. It's super, super watchable because of how they're behaving in the scene and how tense they are or whatever the case might be. But it's something to think about. Can I just say I like one it. last thing on this? Please. Uh, it, like I, I'm right in, in a spec I have in my first scene – this woman leaves. She runs away from her boyfriend. He didn't really see her go, but then he meets up with her and he meets her at her apartment or condo or whatever. And, you know, they're like, she's setting up for dinner, but now she's totally normal. And he's like, where'd you go? And they, I have this three-page scene of them having this conversation in an apartment. And I'm like, 
this is so fucking boring. And I've been thinking of how to make it more interesting. And I thought maybe because she's kind of keeping a lie from him that it makes it a little more interesting, but it doesn't. And I'm trying, this is a perfect example of how I'm trying to figure out how to make a yeah. boring conversation interesting. And I feel like you could go small or big with that. Like the small version is almost the like Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. Smith version where like the way she's using the knife to prepare dinner is like, you're like, oh God, is she going to stab this person? Like what secret is she holding? You can mm -hmm. make it as tense as that. Or yeah, some shit is going on out the window in the backyard or something. It can go any, any direction. <sighs> okay. Moving on. Okay. This one is interesting to include. Uh, number nine, he says, moving on from death in an action movie. Mm -hmm. When a major character dies in your movie, you need to make the audience believe that your hero is willing to continue his or her journey. And the formula to solve this problem involves a quick scene of mourning followed by the hero placed in a dangerous situation. This allows the audience to forget about the death and refocus on the story. Yeah. It's interesting. That's... Definitely true. I've, I've dealt with this often because a lot of the scripts that I've written are two people who some have never seen death and they're now in like an action adventure and they're seeing someone die for the first time. And I've, I've had this note. I've gotten a note like this from like an executive or producer, whoever, where it's like, like the person might need to care that someone just died in front of them. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a tough thing. With Indy, it's a little different. He's, he's, he's an adventurer. But if you are, and then, or in a dynamic where you have a cop, let's just say, and an average person, the cop has been around death. The average person has never seen someone get shot before. Mm -hmm. So death is a big thing in action movies. And it absolutely is. Yeah. And he, he mentions the beginning of Temple of Doom as a great example where one of the waiters is like, you know, an inside man for Indy, one of his friends, but he gets shot. And the sort of down moment where, Indy is mourning the character is in in that moment. There's not a new scene where he mourns him. In fact, we never address him at all the rest of the movie. But in the moment where he's shot, Indy catches him. And he's clearly upset what, about what's happening. And the waiter friend says, you know, like, we've had many good adventures, right, Indy? And he dies in his arms. But mm -hmm. then Indy immediately has to start running from the guys who shot his friend. And so now we're just on the adventure again. So he had that little moment and then we're good. And I, yeah. that's really all you need is to just show that your hero has emotions. Totally. And in movies like this and Mission Impossible, it comes with the territory. If this is your job, you know people are going to die in your arms at some point. I hate to say it, but it's just the way it is. Okay. <laughs> Everything comes down to character development. This is number 10 in the final one. As I said at the top, Indiana Jones is one of the greatest characters. In every movie, we touch in on, a, on who Indy is and how the story brings out something new in him. In the first movie, he's a guy who doesn't believe in spirituality, confronting the Ark of the Covenant. goes on to say, in every movie, we get a deep character and a set of side characters who all have specific wants and desires. Uh, the specificity yeah. is what makes them feel real and actualized. The reason why the first question for my spec at Writers Group being what is this movie about is because it's fine. The, the, the outline was fine, but I don't care about it. So what is it about so that we can care about it? I felt like for me, not to like make this all about your spec, it was more of like, what does she want? Mm -hmm. And then maybe those things tie together. I'm sure, sure they tie together. 
you know, like with Indy. Yeah, you know what? If those two can go to, like, what is this movie about and what does the character want? There is a perfect marriage of those two. I think then you're on the right track. Because in Indy's case, it's like he's trying to find the arc and it just so happens that he doesn't believe in it. So it's like this Mm -hmm. journey of spirituality. Do you remember in our first season of this podcast, when we were still doing it in person in your house, we did a breakdown of Indiana Jones, like a deep dive into Indiana Jones. And we talked about the writing of The Last Crusade. Sort of. It's such a good episode. (laughs) Were there margaritas in that episode? There were were definitely margaritas. But I had done a deep dive in how these movies were, were written. Go back and listen to it. But in Last Crusade, I think what's interesting to this last point um, is that it wasn't originally about a father and son story. They just knew they wanted to do a third Indiana Jones movie. What could it be? And there was a million ideas that were thrown on the table and drafts that were written before the father and son story, a new writer came on and and was like, I want it to be about this father and son story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, that's it. That's what this movie is about. And suddenly it all fell into place, which is all to say, you might not find the thing your movie is about right away. And that's okay because sometimes it takes the process of writing and getting into it, like with our spec check, like with, with my, my, my process, um, to find it. But you always do have to find it. Yeah. So it is very important, this number 10. All righty. Okay, we did it. That is our Indiana Jones 10 screenwriting lessons. Yeah. Thank you so much to Jason Hellerman for writing this article that we could talk about. We appreciate it. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, quote of the day. Don't get it right, get it written. Art Arthur. Mm. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram and threads or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter X and then Josh Hallman on Threads, Instagram, just, dude, I'm done. I can't do it. <laughs> you can't find Josh anywhere. As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Mm-hmm.